0: Good morning, friends, how are you? We've been in a series in the book of Genesis. I'm gonna uh, pick up where we left off. Uh, Genesis chapter 25, beginning verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel. The Aramean from Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And there it is. And I uh, will let you know that I suppose I've had a little more... uh, How do I say it? Anxiety is the word I'm tempted to use, but that isn't quite it. Concern, perhaps. A little more concern about today. Because I have a practice where as we walk through the Old Testament, you have a lot of stories, right, in the Old Testament. And sometimes when it comes to a story, there's not a clear lesson, as in it's not always clear what the point that God's trying to make through this story is. Sometimes it's more obvious than others, but sometimes the Old Testament stories are quoted in the New Testament, and that really is where we can find the most meaning, right? That's where God is pretty much revealing, you know, a big message behind these stories, And so my practice has always been that when we're walking to the Old Testament, if it's quoted in the New Testament, well, that should be the focus, right? Okay, so what's your concern? Well, my concern is this particular passage of Scripture is quoted in the New Testament, and I have found that it is a passage that if we're not careful can cause a lot of trouble around here. Just being honest, my time as a pastor has taught me that if we're not careful, the word of God can cause a lot of trouble. (laughs) It's not the word of God's fault, Um, but if, if we're not careful, if we're not receiving it the way we should, and if I'm not careful, if I'm not preaching it the way I should, and Well, this is quoted in the New Testament in Romans chapter 9, which I have found to be among the most uh, potentially divisive topics. Um, It's about, as you're going to see, it's about the sovereignty of God, God being in control. Actually, uh, two weeks ago, if you recall... Do you remember I told the story of David Brainerd? I walked through much of his writings. And if you remember in the beginning, I talked about some of the things that uh, David said. Um, he said before he was converted, before he was born again, there was things he didn't like about the message of Christianity, if you remember that. And I, and I, I went over a little bit of that. And if you recall, one of the things he said was the sovereignty of God. And let me, let me actually read what he wrote here. Um, so this was, you know, 1700s. Uh, David said, "'Another thing to which I found great inward opposition was the sovereignty of God. I could not bear that it should be holy at God's pleasure to save or damn me, just as he would.'" That passage, Romans 9, 11 to 23, was a constant vexation to me, especially verse 21. Reading or meditating on this always destroyed my seeming good frames. For when I thought I was almost humbled and almost resigned, this passage would make my enmity against the sovereignty of God appear. Um, what, What he was saying here is that there was something about God being God, God being sovereign and God being God, there was something in him that didn't like that. And I found as people, a lot of the times we want to be God, and we don't really want God to be God. And really, I think that's where a lot of this anger comes from. Um, there's been a couple times in the course of my life as a pastor where I've talked about this passage or, or some similar concepts. And I do remember, I remember a time that I preached this, and you're going to see it on the screen. And I remember a young man came up to me, and he said, I did not like the things you were saying. But at some point, I realized that it was the words on the screen that I didn't like. It was the scripture. And that was the right response. He realized that there was something in him that didn't like it, but he realized it's God that I need to wrestle with here. And before I begin, I want to let you know that this is something you can wrestle with. This is something you should wrestle with. You might wonder, why are you even doing this if there's so much potential for anger and divisiveness? Can't we just skip it? Shouldn't we just focus on something else? All of God's word is helpful for us. It's all helpful. Sometimes it, sometimes, uh, some of you know Tim Keller died recently. He was a very influential pastor who blessed a lot of people, including myself. Regarding this specific doctrine, Tim Keller said it's like a sweet, sweet candy with a hard outer shell. And you have to get through that hard outer shell to be able to enjoy the sweet candy. And um, What I'm trying to say is this is helpful, it's good, but there is some wrestling that you must partake in in order to taste and enjoy the sweetness. Um, The reason why I am bringing this to you is because it's my responsibility. The Apostle Paul, uh, Acts chapter 20, when he was leaving the Ephesian church, he said, I declare to you today that your blood is not on my hands because I didn't shrink back from telling you the whole counsel of God. I wasn't afraid. I didn't neglect to tell you everything, not just the more palatable parts. I told you everything, so I'm innocent to your blood. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, I wouldn't have... It wouldn't be a walk of integrity for me to avoid passages that potentially um, cause anger. Instead, I believe that God's word should be heard for what it is and it should fall on our hearts. And to be honest, I think we can handle it. I think we've learned um, that we're a church, that we can wrestle through things, we can talk, And you know what, we can even disagree. Some of the things that I'm gonna say, I have great friends who disagree with me on some of these things, and that's okay. These are some things that I wanna give you permission to wrestle with as Christians. You don't have to agree with everything I say in order to be a Christian. You don't have to agree with everything I say for us to be friends. I Just wanna put that out there. Sometimes that hard outer shell, Sometimes it takes a little while to chew on that. And I want to just give you permission to do that. So I'm going to pray. Father God, let your word speak to us. Not me, not my opinions, perspectives. But let us see clearly what your word says. And let us perceive you with with sensitive hearts and grant us humility. In your name, Jesus, amen. Well, um, so like I say, this is quoted in Romans 9. Let's, let's begin there. Romans 9, beginning in verse one. The apostle Paul speaking. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised, amen." So there are a number of things we could talk about in these opening five verses of this chapter. But one thing that I want you to see is the Apostle Paul's heart for his people. So much he longs for his his people, his brothers, his family, um, the Jewish people, his friends. So much he longs for them to to know the Messiah, to know salvation, to know life so much he longs for them. And with whose heart is he longing for them with? That's Jesus living in him. That's Jesus who weeped over Jerusalem. He wept over their hardness of heart and their unwillingness to come to him. The reason why I want you to see this in the beginning is because no matter what the Bible says after this, Don't forget what it says here. Let me say it another way. A lot of times in in the Bible, you see paradoxes. Things that do not contradict, but on the surface, perhaps they seem to. Tensions, if you want to call it. And we're going to see more about God's plan, God's eternal plan. But before you consider that, I want you to see and know this, the heart of God is a heart of longing for sinners to turn to him and to know him and to have life. A God who does not delight in the death of the wicked, that's Ezekiel. A God who desires that none should perish and all should come to a knowledge of truth, that's First Peter. Um, and a God who who lives, and the Apostle Paul here longing, longing for his people to know him. Let's just really be clear on that. That's the heart of God. Uh, let's not forget that as we keep reading, okay? Uh, verse 6. It is not as though God's word has failed. For now all who are considered from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So now we're getting into, um, well, there's, there's the passage from, from Genesis and now we're, we're getting into the, The focus of Romans 9 Um, starts by saying, God's word has not failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Meaning, being a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't guarantee that you have the promise of Abraham. It's for not the children of the flesh but the children of the promise Um, so you have because at the time the gospel had gone out and largely the Jewish people said no and the apostle Paul is saying that God's word hasn't failed God's working out his plan and in the next few chapters actually he he goes more into how God has a plan for a, a hardening of Israel to come upon them and, and for Gentiles, non-Jews to come in. And, um, and it seems that there will be, it seems like revival in Israel towards the end and, and I guess there's, that's a longer conversation for another time. But he's saying that God is working out his plan. And he's saying it's always been this way. It's always been this way that it wasn't all the physical children of Abraham that were counted as the children of promise. And he says, first, do you remember Abraham had two children? And then and then uh, Jacob had two children. Um, and before they were born, it was said the older will serve the younger in order that God's purpose in election might stand, God's purpose in choosing. Um, the older will serve the younger, it just as it's written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. So I want to um, give you. Oh, how do I say this? Um, a lot of the times I've found that there's a lot of divisiveness over um, this passage and ideas related to it, and a lot of the times it's because people don't actually listen to one, what one another is saying. And A lot of times people are arguing, and they're using different terminology, and so there's a misunderstanding happening, and... Sadly, a lot of theological arguments i found are a lot more about just pride than they are about the actual theology. This is something that I've discovered. Um, But there is differences of opinions and differences of interpretations, and I want you to know that uh, this passage is interpreted in different ways. So what's clear here, here is... Um, This idea of God choosing, it's definitely there. Everyone agrees on that because it it says it. But what actually is he choosing? And for some, he's choosing groups of people for a purpose, for a vocation, if you will, for a job, um, choosing the nation of Israel to bring forth the Messiah um, and the, the people of of Esau to to not. (laughs) And that's definitely part of it. No one would argue that. But kind of the more divisive issue is, the more contentious or debated um, issue is, is that all he's talking about? As in, does this thing of God choosing people, not based on works, but based on him and him alone, does that also pertain to our individual salvation? Is God also choosing people, both Jews and Gentiles, to know him? Is, is God, does God choose people for salvation and leave others without it? And the way I read the Bible, the way I read Romans 9 is, yes, it also is about that. And I'm gonna show you my perspective of why I think it is about that also, it is about groups, but if you keep reading, and this becomes abundantly clear to me, in a couple of places, especially verse 24, it's not only talking about groups for a purpose, it is talking about individuals obtaining mercy. And that is, that's the hard outer shell that Tim Keller talked about that I think should be heard. Once more, if you hear what I'm saying and you're not persuaded, um, I, I, I don't stand in any judgment of you. And once more, we can be friends, but it is my job to show you the scriptures, what I think they say, and you can decide for yourself with you and God. But I do think this is rather important. Um, so um, it says, just as I was written, Jacob I love, Esau I hated, Before before they'd done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just just as is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Um, So the passage, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated, that actually doesn't come from Genesis. That's not actually talking about the individuals, Jacob and Esau. And this is one of the things someone would point to someone who is of the persuasion that this is, this past, this chapter is not talking about individual salvation. They would say, Jacob and Esau here aren't the individuals Jacob and Esau, they are the the people that would come from them. Granted, and actually we're gonna look at that Malachi verse before the day is over. But what I will tell you is that Malachi verse is making the same point that Romans 9 is making as a whole. And I also wanna remind you that groups of people are made up of lots of individuals. And in the Malachi verse, um, "Jacob I love but Esai, I hated, it. it's very much God showing love to one and opposing another. Um, uh, at this point, if you're reading this, before they were even born, before they had done anything good or bad, God is choosing one and leaving another. You're probably hearing that. And you're probably thinking, that seems kind of unfair, right? I mean, that's natural. Well, let's pick it up in verse 14. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So this is more the reason why I think he's talking about precisely what he seems to be talking about, individual salvation, because if he is talking about individual salvation in the previous verses, it's very natural for you to read it and say, that sounds unfair. And that's why he's responding with, what shall we say? Is God unfair? Is God unjust? Um, Years ago, I preached on this, and I titled the message... Um, The doctrine of election, easy to follow, hard to swallow. (laughs) As in, I think the logic is easy to follow, I really do. I think, to be honest, I think the reason why this chapter is so debated is not because it's not clear, it's because of what it actually says. And I personally, and again, you can disagree, and we're totally cool, all right? (laughs) But, um, as in, we're still friends, But I personally think it is really clear, but it's just hard to swallow. But if we can get through that hard to swallow part, I agree with Mr. Keller, there's something sweet here. There's something very sweet. So what should we say, is God unjust? He's gonna respond to that. Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So is it unfair for God to give mercy to one and not another? Well, if you think it's unfair, you probably haven't really considered the definition of what mercy is. If 100 people owe me $20, 100 people owe me $20, I can point to you and I can say, you know what, I forgive you that $20, keep it. You are released from your debt. And I can still require the $20 from the other 99. That's my right. I'm not being unfair. If I, if I give a special mercy to one, it's not required of me to give it to everyone else. Otherwise it's not mercy, that's, that's what mercy is. And that's, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. God's not being unjust. Instead, he said, says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom he has compassion. And this next part, it does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Now, there's something here. Today, actually, I made a mistake two weeks ago When we were talking about David Brainerd, I said it was Pentecost Sunday because in my mind, I was like pent, five. Pent means five, five weeks after Easter. But actually, I forgot pent means five as in 50. It's like 50 days or 49 days after Easter. Today's actually Pentecost Sunday. And I'll tell you this. I believe this might be a Pentecost Sunday for us. There might be glory revealed in a special way on this day where revival breaks, breaks out. I believe that. And you know why this passage stirs in me this? So what, what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying right here, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. When God says that, he means it's me. The, the next verse that says, it doesn't, it doesn't depend on human desire or effort. As in, the question of who will receive mercy, it goes no farther than me. It goes to me. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Some people would like to say, well, God has mercy because we do this, because we have the right effort or we make the right decision. And don't get me wrong, we make lots of decisions that we're accountable for. But what this is saying is there's something higher than that. What does that have to do with Pentecost? What does that have to do with glory being given in a mighty, powerful way? I'll tell you. Here he's quoting the Old Testament too, you know. And he's quoting Exodus 33. And what happened there is Moses said to God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God said, if you see my face, you're going to die, but I am going to show you something. And the glory of God passed before Moses. And when the glory of God passed before Moses, Moses heard a voice, God speaking. And God said, I am the Lord, which is Yahweh. That's, that's the Old Testament, Yahweh, which means I am who I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy So I am, uh, Yahweh, it means I am who I am. You see, it's the same formula. I am who I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I am who I am. I am who I am means there's nothing higher than me. I am a self-sustaining one. No one created me. It all goes back to me. I am who I am. My name is Yahweh. I am who I am. And he equates that with I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Here's what I see. Here's what I see. There is something about this truth, there is something that about this truth that gets at the very character of God, the very majesty, the glory of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us not rob God of that glory by trying to take it, trying to take some of it. He says, no, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, it's me. It doesn't depend on human desire effort, but on God's mercy, and that's his right. And I believe it, this truth, it requires some wrestling. Don't get me wrong, but there's a truth here that I very much believe is connected with knowing the name of God. Yahweh, I am who I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. let well, see there. Um, here it gets to um, a natural progression of that as in, The idea that God gives mercy to whom he wants to give mercy, that part's good. (laughs) But someone might wonder, uh, what about other people, (laughs) right? Is God choosing some people to give a special mercy to and passing over others? And the way I read the passage is yes, that's what it seems to say. And and I I personally don't think it's unclear. If you think it's unclear or if you disagree, God be with you. But I personally think that's what it says. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I may display my power in you and that my name won't be proclaimed in all the earth. God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. But let's talk about this so we don't get the wrong idea. Um, Pharaoh, and I I guess I would say all of us in this way, we're not blank slates in this world. Let me explain that a little more. We have a nature that desires to go in a certain direction and it's away from God. Sin hardens and that's what we naturally want. Read Romans one. The nature of being a sinner means we suppress the truth of God don't want it, don't want it, don't want him, don't want him ruling over me. I want to be my own God. goes back to Genesis 3, the whole essence of what we chose when we chose sin. We're going in a direction of being hardened. And if you read the story of Pharaoh, yes, God is hardening Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's also hardening Pharaoh. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and Pharaoh also freely chooses to harden his own heart. Um, So Hardening is something that we choose when we choose sin. This is a direction we choose to go in. God is not pointing at neutral Pharaoh and saying, I'm gonna curse you and I'm gonna harden you. Instead, what God seems to be doing is Pharaoh's going in a direction out of his own choice and God says, I'm gonna let you go in that direction for my own purposes. I believe, as we saw earlier in the chapter, and I believe as the scriptures say elsewhere, and it's gonna say it here again in another way, that God is grieved by sinners. God is grieved when they don't come to him. That's true. But for a purpose, He, as the scriptures say, he patiently endures sinners. As in, he experiences grief for a greater purpose. And you keep reading, I think you're you're going to see what this greater purpose is. God, like us, sometimes emotions can be complex. Sometimes you can feel multiple things at the same time. Yes, God is grieved. The God who is love is grieved by Pharaoh and other sinners being hardened. But at the same time, he's working out his plan. I raise you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earths. God is working out a plan in the hardening of Pharaoh. And when he hardens Pharaoh, he's giving Pharaoh what he wants. I'd say in contrast, when he grants mercy, let me say it this way. I believe in free will, okay? Jonathan Edwards, who was an enormous proponent of the theology that I'm discussing, he wrote a book called The Freedom of the Will. Um, I believe in free will, as in God doesn't force his will upon us. Instead, with Pharaoh and with sinners, for some, he allows them to go in the way that they want. He hardens them because they want to be hardened. As in they don't want God, that's a hardening. He allows them to go in that direction. For others, he gives mercy. And when he gives mercy, he's not forcing his will upon us either. Um, John chapter 6, which also has a lot to say about this very topic, John chapter 6, that's when Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. John chapter 6, where it says, no one can come to me unless my father draws him. No one can come to me unless my father draws him. Notice that we're drawing, and and I'm leaning on Tim Keller here again. Um, Tim Keller talked about this in something that I heard this week. He said... This this idea of drawing means it's kind of like wooing. He doesn't force us to come to him, but he makes his grace, uh, as some theologians have called, irresistible. He draws us in so we freely choose him. For some, he grants this special mercy to be drawn in. And what this passage seems to say is for others, for his purpose, and we're gonna see that more as we keep reading, he doesn't. For some he gives a special mercy and that's his right to do so. And for others he allows them to go in the way of Pharaoh for also for his own special purposes. He has mercy on whom he has mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Um, Let's keep reading because you probably have questions. Verse 19, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay, first thing. starts out by saying, one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? Once more, I want you to see he is following the exact logic of what this passage would mean if the passage is saying what I seem to think it's saying. That's why I say the logic is clear. He's answering your objections, and those objections wouldn't make any sense if this passage wasn't saying what it seems to be saying. So once more, if you disagree with me, God be with you, but that's, that's how I see it. That's why, I, again, I call it easy to follow, but, but hard to swallow. Um, also, verse 24, even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. I think this verse alone tells you this is not only about groups of people called for a specific vocation. This is about individuals being called from within those groups. Even us whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. He's taking this theology about Jacob and Esau and the people of Jacob, the people of Esau, and he is saying this is about us. Um, previously in, uh, in verse 18, therefore, uh, or... or um, uh, previously in verse 16, when it says, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. The "it," the it is mean, meaning the, the heart of a sinner coming to life. Um, consider the Apostle Paul, who is in a lot of ways like Pharaoh. Um, Acts chapter nine begins and it says, the Apostle Paul, he's still breathing out murder. The Apostle Paul, by his own words, said he persecuted Christians to the death. So he's very much like Pharaoh in this way, opposing God's people, wanting to kill God's people. But God did something for Paul that he did not do for Pharaoh. Isn't that the case? He drew him in, um, he changed his heart. And I can consider my own life, how I used to go to Bible studies to mock Christians. And I said blasphemous things. Why didn't I continue on that road? What makes me different from Pharaoh? What makes me different than the sinners who continue in sin? Is it because eventually I came to the right decision? It does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who has mercy. I'm not going to claim any of that. There is a glory to be found when we understand where this comes from. It doesn't come from us. It's a special kind of love. Ephesians chapter 1, in love he predestined us. My wife, um, sometimes, you know, if I say to her, hey, why do you love me? She doesn't say because you're funny or good-looking or you cook well or you're a good dad. She's always said this. She said, God just put it in me. God just put it in me to love you. And there's something special about that. Because if she said, because I'm funny, what if I stop being funny? She said, because I'm a good dad. What if I stop being a good dad? What if I stop being a good cook? What if I lose these great looks? (laughs) There's something sweet here. This special mercy that God gave you, it wasn't because of anything you did. In love he predestined us And and, and, and because it goes back to him, because it goes back to him you can't lose it he is the author of our salvation from beginning to end there's something very sweet and freeing here knowing that it's always been him um there's there's a little more here in Romans 19 and 24 um This question of why does God still blame us? And he says, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? And verse 21 says, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And that's the verse that David Brainerd said, especially just stirred anger in him. He didn't like it. But what the passage is saying is that's God's right, being God. God being God has the right to give mercy to whom he wants to give mercy. And we as people and sinners, we don't have any right to accuse God of being unjust. Um, that's, that's some of the wrestling that, that you might have to do. And here, I think it does say in verse 22, it gives a little reason for why God may have done it this way. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? So it's like he says there's objects of mercy prepared for glory and objects of wrath prepared for destruction. Why would God do something like that? Could God have given the same mercy to all? He could have, but he didn't. Why? Well, let's, it says here, on one hand it says, God choosing to show his wrath and make his power known. That's the same thing that it says you know, about Pharaoh. I chose you for this purpose, to show my power through you, meaning in your judgment, in your destruction, at the banks of the Red Sea, when your army is swallowed up by the sea, and my people walk right through it. Um, God displays his glory in judgment. He displays his power. That's part of, says why he did it, but there's more. It says with great patience, and I wanna see again that we shouldn't oversimplify God and we shouldn't read Romans nine and think God doesn't have a heart and a longing for sinners to come to him because with great patience he is grieved. He is grieved. He does not delight in the death of the wicked. He does desire all to come to repentance. We see that here. But he says also, verse 23, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the object of his mercy? And I'll tell it to you this way. God's special people, they walked through salvation. They walked through the Red Sea, which is a symbol of our baptism. They walked through it. And they turned around and they saw others swallowed by that very same sea. And what it says is they sang. When they saw that, they sang. And there's a message here. Do you wanna know the riches of your special salvation, the mercy that you've obtained? Do you wanna know the riches of that salvation? Just turn around and watch the Red Sea swallow those who have been hardened. This salvation you have is a rare thing. It was a special love that God decided to give you. But why God? But why God, why did you, why did you give me such mercy and love? And the answer, because I wanted to. But why? It's because of who I am. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. It's because I wanted to. Was it because I made a a, a right decision and my neighbor made a wrong decision? Is it because I, 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 I found some humility somehow? It's because I wanted to. It's because of who I am. In love, he predestined us. So it is now. There is a remnant chosen by grace. There's something sweet here for our souls. Yes, there's a hard shell you gotta chew through, but there's something sweet here for our souls. Um, Let's go to the Malachi verse before we end. Malachi chapter one, one through five. This is what was quoted earlier. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom, that's Esau's people, may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. You see, it's the same logic and the same point. I have loved you, that's what God says. We might say, how have you loved us? And And he says, you wanna know how I've loved you? Look at them, because I've allowed them to be hardened. They don't have the special love that you do. The love, the mercy that you have is a special love. And part of the ways that it can be seen is in the judgment of the wicked. That's what I see in Romans 9, that's what I see in, in uh, Malachi. In a moment, a is gonna come up and we're gonna do a time, a Q&A, and I understand there's probably a lot of questions. Service might be a little longer than it is on average because this topic does bring a lot of questions. Um, couple things, couple things real quick, a couple of don'ts, <laughs> a couple of don'ts. Um, don't oversimplifies God's word. As in, don't let um, human logic bring doctrines farther than the Scriptures bring them. Um, don't look at this and say God doesn't have a love for all people because the Bible says He does. Don't look at this and say Jesus didn't die for all people because He's the Savior of all men. Um, don't presume to know who are God's special elect because someone would have looked at me, you know. 20 some years ago and would have said definitely object of destruction right here, you know. uh, Don't think that, don't think that this means we shouldn't do evangelism. David Brainerd was pretty convinced by these truths and he worked for God for evangelism harder than any of us. Me personally, this gives me great comfort with evangelism, knowing that God has gone before me and God I, I, I'm being used as God's hands and feet to find the people that He's that He's working in. Um, and don't don't fight over this. Chat about it. Get together. And you can even argue with love. But don't don't fight. Remember God's heart. Don't forget God's heart. Um, and. Uh, Oh yeah, this is important. This is my last point before we dive into questions. Don't despair over this doctrine. Let me explain that. Some people might hear that God chooses some to give mercy and having a tender heart, they might say, oh no, I'm so aware of, of my sin. I, I would love, I wish, I wish God would choose me but I just don't think I'm chosen and you can be in despair. That is not the voice of God. Remember what Jesus said? Anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. Meaning, if you want Jesus, he wants you. If you want to be one of his special people of mercy, I would say that that's evidence of God working on your heart. This doctrine should never lead someone to despair because anyone, if you want Jesus, he wants you. Don't forget that. I mean, that's a great truth you see all over the Bible. So that's why I say don't take one doctrine of God and put blinders on. We have to, we have to he- hear the whole console of what God has said. So, okay, I've talked enough. Let's do this. This should be fun. <laughs> fun indeed. Thank you,
1: <laughs> Great message. Food for thought. A lot to chew on and process, like you said. Okay, so for everyone here, uh, this is a time of uh, questions and responses. Um, You can either raise your hand, and we'll try to get a mic over to you so that you can ask a question. There's already hands up in the air. Uh, Or you can text it. For those of you on on Zoom, uh, you can just text your questions on the number that's on the screen right there. Okay, I'm just going to start us off by uh, asking you the first question because um, you had mentioned from the outset that these are um, topics or themes that are spoken of, uh, taught in the Bible, um, but per- we can land in different areas or different places and that we need to wrestle through these concepts or truths. Um, in your mind, how would you um, wrestle well with these kind of uh, concepts or truths? What would that look like?
0: i tell you, with, with great humility, great humility. Uh, I actually heard a pastor once. Um, I think his name is Mike, Mike Winger, and he has a different perspective than I do on, on this. Um, and he said, sometimes people will say, like, oh, uh, the God who, you know, the, the God uh, of these, you know, election predestination people is so mean and terrible, I would never worship him. And, and the God, uh, you know, this other perspective is, is weak and he, he can't, whatever. Um, people say different things. And something Mike Winger said was, I don't think we should say that because what if we're wrong? <laughs> you know? What if, what if that's actually correct? What if, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you argue, you, you can argue, but do so with humility, knowing you're not God. These are complicated things. There is a lot of different passages to consider and we are fallible. Let me say it this way. Don't put your confidence in these things on the same level as like your trust in Jesus as savior. Like the thing that ties us together as one people is not our position on the doctrine of election. That is not what binds us. What binds us as one people is Jesus our Savior, our King, our Lord? And don't forget that as you wrestle with this, and as you as you as you talk about this, and personally, I've found some of the most wonderful conversations that I have with people that are really like heart to hearts. We're talking through these things, and and maybe not totally agreeing, and that's okay. It's still just beautiful fellowship. So have humility, have kindness, and just remember the big thing about God's heart for unity in him thank you yeah thank
1: you Charlie okay so Nevin yes go ahead
2: Uh, good morning thank you for your sermon this morning the example you gave an example at the beginning of the sermon you said that if 120 people owed you money uh, you could choose and say that's okay you don't have to pay me back to some of them right The problem that I have, I'm hoping you can help me with, to me, I would choose a different example. As a volunteer teacher, it looks more to me like you have a a teacher with their students is preparing the students for an exam, and the teacher chooses not to give the textbooks to some in the class. You see what I mean? So, it's a different example if you look at it that way. Can you help me with that? Oh, so
0: it seems unfair, like in that sense you're saying? Wonderful. Okay. So, here's something that I see. Romans 1 tells us that the truth of God is plain for everyone to see. Okay? What, 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 may be, what might be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The truth of God is plain. It's kind of like a message in the sky. God created the heavens and the earth. God is holy. God is good. God is just. It's there. So in this way, there's not a textbook that is hidden from people. Um, And when it comes to the gospel message, because of the nature of our hearts, if the gospel is preached to us, while, in, while we are in our state of rebellion, left to our own devices, we will all turn away. So this is, this again, this is just how I see it. This is, this is how I make sense of, of these verses. Left to our own devices, we all say no. But for, and for many people, like Pharaoh, God says, okay, I showed you. Remember with Pharaoh, Moses came repeatedly and pleaded with him, you know, Um, but he just kept saying no. So it's not that God is not pursuing these people. Actually, here's a passage that might speak to what you're saying. All are called, but few are chosen. So yes, yes, the call goes out to many, but for some, for whatever reason, God does a special work of mercy to woo them in, and others, though they have the message, though they've been called they're allowed to continue in the direction they would freely want to go. So I hope it makes sense. I know they're having things. Chew on it, <laughs> wrestle with it, and yeah. If I could chime in a
1: bit on that as well. Um, I think, it, I think the, the picture is somewhat misleading when it looks like there's people that are clamoring for mercy, and God folds his arms and says, I'm going to show mercy only to you when the bible is very clear that we are not pursuing mercy we are all it says we are all sinners no one seeks after god no not one and I, and i think this chapter 9 to 11 passage in romans which is which speaks a lot about this very very difficult to chew on uh, concept or truth if you look at ver- uh, chapter 11 i'll just read um um uh, a couple of verses because it's, it c- follows on the train of thought that it seems like God chose Israel and now he's dumping Israel and choosing Gentiles. And, and people are saying, well, w- that's not fair. He's, he's abandoned Israel. And he turns to, and he follows up on that argument and says in verse 25 of chapter 11, as regards the gospel, they that the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And this is the clincher verse, verse 32 says, for God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So there is a sense where we're not looking after mercy with God. You know, there's no individual, like the, the, the parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector, there's no tax collector who beats his chest and says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, that God does not respond with mercy. But the picture that is painted here is that we are not seeking after God's mercy, but it is when he woos us, like Charlie says, that we are awakened to what? What's going on? The reality dawns on us, and then we respond to that wooing and plead for mercy. So that's a more accurate picture of of how we are as a human race. Not that we're all seeking after God, and now God is beating back most of us, and just an elect few are the ones that he chooses. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, Nevin.
2: Okay, thank you so much for the sermon today, Pastor Charlie. I was just wondering if God demonstrated his mercy through the cross and that John 3.16, which is very, very simple, whoever believes, it's the mercy of God, the cross. That's. I just wanted to say that.
0: Absolutely. And that's a, a truth. That's why I say... Never hear one doctrine and then ignore the other, because that message still goes out. Whosoever believes in him, all are invited, all are called. Anyone, I mean, the the passage I, I quoted earlier, all are called, but few are chosen. But anyone, that's what Jesus said, anyone who comes to me will by no means be cast out. The gospel must be preached to everyone freely and to to do anything less is is missing the whole heart of God, where, um, absolutely, anyone who any anyone can come to Him, that's absolutely true. Um, once more, the way that these doctrines fit together is that message goes out: anyone may come to Him. But the way that I read the Bible is left to our own free will, because we freely choose sin and darkness. We won't come to him. Um, but, but once more, that's, that's how, how I see it. And, uh, but, but at the same time, whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Do
1: have another
0: question? Yes.
2: Hi. Um, can God's will not be changed by our prayers?
0: I, I'm so glad you asked that because I, I, I was uh, thinking of going into that. This is something that I said, I think, last week and perhaps two weeks ago. God is doing his sovereign plan on earth through the prayers of his people. That, that's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to think of. Um, because some people might hear this message I'm saying, and they might think, well, what's the point of praying for people if God's just going to do what God's just going to do? And in the reality is, the way I see it is, God stirs our hearts. Like, someone's on your heart. I've told the story of my friend, Reed Anderson, who prayed for me, even though I just like mocked his faith and like ridiculed everything about Christianity, he prayed for me even after I moved away. He kept praying for me, kept praying for me. And I had this mighty you know, encounter with God and I, and I got saved and then I moved back to town and people were like, you're that guy Reed kept praying for, like even after you moved away. Like, Why did that guy keep praying for me? I don't know. But I guess what I'm trying to say is God put it on His heart, and so absolutely we should pray for people. Absolutely, and and how that works when it comes to like, do we actually change God's will? Um, it, it's I think there there's things there that are more complicated and beyond my total understanding, but. On a surface level, I would say on one hand, no, we don't change God's will because he has his eternal plan. But on another hand, yes, absolutely, he responds to our prayers. And so that there's, there's complexity there, granted, but I see both in the scriptures. And I'll even say this, this doctrine gives me great hope when it comes to praying for my family members and my friends, because I know that God can save anyone he wants, whenever he wants. God is is not limited by a hard heart. God can save the hardest of hearts and give a special mercy, and and that gives me comfort. Thank
1: you. I'll end with this one text question because we are um, running out of time and just ask you with this one that we can close, uh, Charlie. This person says, How does 2 Peter 3.9, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How does that fit into the idea that God might not want to choose someone?
0: Great question, I'll do the best that I can because like I see, like I said earlier, I see it as a paradox, which is not a contradiction, but a seeming contradiction. So God desires all to be saved, yet we also know in the Bible that not all are saved. So what we also know is that, yes, while God wants everyone to be saved, there's something he wants more, okay? God could have saved everyone, okay? If you don't think God could save everyone, then you don't know who God is. God, no one can thwart his plans. Yes, he wants all to be saved, but there's something he wants more. And theologians actually differ on what the thing that he wants more. Some people would say what he wants more is the preservation of free will. Um, I think the message of Romans 9 is what he wants more, is to show his special love to those whom he has chosen and to show his glory and power. So God's first priority is the display of his character, the display of his love. His first priority, the way that I see it, is not the saving of all people, though he does though he does long for that. There's something he wants more. And so that's, that's just the way I make sense of it. Because our job, when we see seemingly contradictory passages, is to create a model of understanding of how both of them can be true. Perhaps your model is different. Once more, I really want to, really want to, really want to encourage you with this: wrestle with these things, chew on these things, and 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 talk about them in love.
1: Yes, amen. Well, thank you, Charlie. Let's let's close in prayer before we go into worship. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for the God that you are. Thank you, Lord, that your purposes will come to pass and they will not be thwarted. Lord, we will end up in revelation and we know, Lord, that we will see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face. We will exist in an eternity where heavens and earth shall be combined, where there shall be no more sin or pain or disease or decay or evil and we long for that day Lord we thank you and we rest in you that you will bring it to pass and we ask father that you would fill us with your love that we in turn can move forward with this mission that you are inviting us to be partakers and co-partners with you in that we might pursue the restoration of all people and all things through a living relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you call us and you invite us and you woo us. And we thank you that you are sovereign over all the heavens and the earth. We sing your praises and we thank you in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.